You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Uh, If you have any questions or answers about anything we ask or say today, feel free to send them. I'll do my best to be looking at that. I'd love for this to be a monologue and not a dialogue. That's the opposite. I'd love for this to be a dialogue and not a monologue. I'm multitasking. Um, And so feel free to send that, send your stuff. It'll be on the bottom of each screen if you have that. If you're bold, just yell if you want. Hey, this is me when I was a kid. Uh, First, I want to say that I've been seeing a lot of kids lately. I've been in and around schools. And a lot of kids, a lot of young men have the long hair again. And I'm never going back, so I just want to publicly state that I had it, and I'm not having it again. So you all do you if you all want to do the thing. I get it. Like, it's, I guess it must be cool. But when you get old, you stop doing the cool thing. And so, um, but my brother and I had long hair when we were kids. And sometimes I think we are, uh, I want to talk about impatience. And the story I thought about was my brother. We had long hair, and people would when we were little kids, call us girls all the time. And I remember one time my brother had really long hair and they were in the grocery store with my mom. And we tried to be patient with people who said it and there was an elderly woman who had come up to us and she was saying, what a beautiful daughter you have to my mom. (laughs) Just going on and on about how I remember having a daughter this age and how, and my brother was just trying to be so patient, (laughs) be kind. And about the third time she was like, I just miss having a little girl. And he said, I'm not a little girl, Grandma. (laughs) Like this. I remember at Clear's Day, he was like three or four years old. She was, (laughs) clutched her pearls. Not a little girl is the deepest voice he can muster. I think about impatience a lot. We have a hard time being patient, especially when things are negatively affecting us. I think that's the bad news for us today. Before we get to the good news, I like to talk about the bad news. I think the bad news is that you and I are impatient with God. But I also want to say that it's understandable. These last few years have been really hard. And so, (laughs) thank you, yeah. Uh, And so there's an impatience that we have that I think makes us miss out on some things that we're going to talk about today, but also recognizing that it's been hard. We're like this little girl. I think it's a little girl. She has long hair. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen this video? I love this video. It's 30 seconds, uh, but I think it's emblematic of us. You want to try wasabi? No. You want some wasabi? No. Okay. Wasabi. Now she wants some wasabi. Smell it first. Help. <laughs> That's it. If you don't know what wasabi is, it comes with your sushi. It's very spicy. It's a green thing. I honestly couldn't, I don't know if they make it in a lab or if it comes from a plant. I don't know anything about wasabi, except that it's spicy. I think that's us. Like, sometimes I think in our prayers, we're just going like, help, right? Like, we're just crying out. We're asking. I don't know what it is you're going through, but we are asking God for help. We've been crying out for help. Um, And in the impatience of it all, it feels like God is distant 
is absent, many times hearing nothing. Sometimes it just feels like total silence when we help. I don't know if to turn those parents in or to thank them for that beautiful moment in internet history. But like that, we cry out help, and oftentimes it feels like there's a lot of silence. I remember one time I had a professor say something so real in class that I'll never forget it. It felt like somebody had cut through, you know, when you go to church and, and you belong to a church for a long time, and there's this, this idea that we got to like keep up a front and, and do the happy clappies. And, and he just said something that cut through a lot of that for me. His name's Jeff Cuse, brilliant uh, scholar and theologian. He said, Christians can out atheist any atheist any day because we have all reached out in real prayer only to experience silence and nothingness. And man, it just felt so real. Partly I like winning, so I was like, yeah, I can beat those guys at stuff. Like, but part of it's like, yeah, it's one thing to be like, I don't believe. Like, that's easier, I think, in a lot of ways than sometimes believing and crying out and just hearing nothing. And so in the midst of that reality, right, some of that I think is, is mystery that is hard to explain. And some of it, I think, is just our own impatience, not waiting long enough, not walking the journey. Today is a story that is not about prayer as much as it is about a request and a waiting on Jesus. And so I want to use this story as a, as a, a foil, as a lens for uh, talking about prayer. We are going to be looking at the wedding at Cana where Jesus does his first miracle of turning water into wine. And the story is so rich and there's so many things in it that I'd love to talk about, but we have an agenda to talk about prayer. Hear now the word of the Lord, the good news from John chapter 2. It says, on the third day, you should have heard that language before, right? Jesus raises on the third day. John's saying something. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana. Weddings are very important symbolically in our theology, in our church, but also in this culture. In Cana of Galilee, Cana was probably a small village. That's why he needed to tell us what region it was in. And Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. And when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, they don't have any wine. Uh, if you don't know, in this culture, uh, weddings lasted for days, sometimes weeks, depending. And there was a cultural obligation that was so strong that you needed to provide a certain type of party. It was so strong that if you failed to uphold your duty of this celebration, you could be sued for not having enough wine. You could literally be taken before a judge and have to pay your guests money, probably money that you already didn't have because the reason you ran out of wine in the first place. Uh, but you could be sued because you did not throw a good party. So this isn't just like, hey, party's dipping. We want to keep things going. Like, let's get some more wine. It's like there's a real emergency here, at least as far as the bride and groom are concerned. Jesus replies, woman... What does that have to do with me? My time hasn't come. Uh, woman feels very cold to us. It is not cold in this language here, but it is unusual that Jesus wouldn't have called her mother. Uh, he says woman. Uh, one of the things I can't get into, and if you want to know, you can um, send a text to the number below. John never uses Mary's name in his whole gospel. Not 
any time in the whole Gospel of John does he write the name Mary, nor does Jesus call her Mary, calls her woman. There's a reason for it, but it's a mystery now. Um, uh, what does that have to do with me? My time hasn't come. He's saying, I haven't, I'm not ready to do my public ministry yet. His mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you, and leaves the room. Jesus uh, this moves on in the story, and he says, nearby there were six stone water jars used for the Jewish cleansing ritual. What would happen is they'd take the jars, and then when you came to the party, you held your hands out, and they would dump water over your hands, and you had to wash your hands. And so there were six of these, huge, each able to hold about 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Sometimes I think we think this is an easy task. It's a difficult task. They either had to go down to the river or they had to go to a well, and they had, it took a long time to fill these. And they filled them to the brim because if you know the story, Jesus is about ready to turn them into wine, and so they are to the brim just so us, those hearing the story, knows that Jesus didn't sneak anything in there. I mean, they are all the way to the top. The meaning of this story is that Jesus is taking the ritualistic water washing of the Old Testament and turning it into the wine of new creation and new covenant. It's the beauty of this. But I think there's something practical we can take as far as prayer goes. Moving on in our story. Then he told them, now draw some from them and take it to the head waiter. And they did, and the head waiter tasted the water and it became wine. And he didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew that the head waiter called the groom over and said to the groom, everyone serves good wine first. They bring out the second-rate wine only when the guests are drinking freely and their tongues are dulled and their taste buds have uh, died out. You keep the good wine until now? This was the first miraculous sign that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. You know how we preach here, head, heart, hands, something for us to know, something for us to feel, something for us to do. And the question I'm asking in this theme of this story about what God wants us to know, I think the answer is, an answer to prayer is almost always meant to point beyond our present problem. So even when we get the answer, it, it, it's really still not about us. We talked about this last week and the week before that God is working, but God has an agenda, a mission to make us certain kinds of people. And even in the gospel of John, what John always wants to relay to us is that even when miracles are granted and things happen and prayers are answered, uh, it's about the bigger mission that Jesus is on. Our story tells us this was the first miraculous sign that Jesus did. It reveals his glory and it deepens the faith of his disciples. That's part of the mission. That's what's going on in the midst of this. John almost never calls them only miracles. He always calls them a sign because these miracles, again, point beyond themselves to something bigger. In fact, many times in the Gospel of John, Jesus doesn't want to simply do miracles because, he says, we will get reliant on needing God to do the miraculous for us when God has already done so much and there's bigger fish to fry than just continually answering all the requests we have. Remember week one, we said, God is working while we're waiting, but mostly on making us the type of people that Jesus has meant for us to be. 
I think the same principle applies to answered prayers. Even when we get what we want, it's about something bigger. It's less about giving us more of what we want and more about revealing more of who God is. Uh, I love memes. I do them all the time. Uh, This is one I shared recently because I've never been a father of an 11-year-old, and I'm constantly thinking about how to be a parent, right? Every year my kid gets older is another year of parenting that I am totally foreign to, right? I have no idea. I've never had an 11-year-old. I've never had, we didn't even have girls in our family growing up except mom and grandma. Like it was all boys and now I have a daughter. Like I don't know what I'm doing all the time. And so I learned mostly from memes, to be honest. No, I'm just kidding. But I enjoy this one. It says, you come to me with a problem, my son, I will help enough for you to feel supported, but not so much you won't experience personal growth. It's the good father, right? Not the godfather. I'm like, yeah, that's the goal, right? Is to help, to make them feel supported, but not so much that I'm doing it for them. We had our first science project at home and we had to make a cell. And there's part of me that was just like, it'd be so much easier if I just did it, right? If I just did it myself. We, but walking through it and giving him a big knife, like, it was just so scary. Like, but wanting him to learn and wanting him to grow and wanting him to feel supported, but not wanting him to feel, you get it. I think this is what's going on in these miracles and these answers to requests and prayers. A fuller picture plus a deeper faith is a better life. This is what God wants for us, even in answered prayers. A better life does not equal getting what we want. You know that. I know that. It's not, if I gave my kids everything they wanted, they would not turn out to be the type of people that I would want them to be. But can we go on a rabbit trail, a Pastor James rabbit trail for a minute? Because um, the beard should go on the rabbit next time. We'll do that. Um, Last week I talked about, no, was it last week? Yes, it was last week. Hannah, how people try to distract from our hope. And they do that for a lot of reasons. They want to they try to minimize our expectations so we don't get our feelings hurt. And I feel like sometimes when we talk about prayer, uh, that's how I'm coming at this. And I don't want to do that. I don't mean to get you to try to pray weak prayers or not pray at all. It's not all about learning lessons, which is this first point, right? Is that oftentimes even answers to prayer point beyond themselves. It's not all about learning. Sometimes pastors seem like they want to protect God or you by trying to keep your hopes low, and I don't want to do that. I want you to pray big, hairy, audacious prayers, right? I want you to pray those because Jesus encourages us to pray them, and I don't have time to read all these, but every time Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, So many times he says that. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Uh, Ask whatever you want and it will be done. Ask anything according to God's will and he hears us. Over and over and over, scripture encourages us to pray big prayers. So even though I'm trying to tell you in the first point that there really is a lot about learning lessons and it's about character building, I also want you to know that Jesus really wants us to talk to him about all the stuff. And part of the mystery of our faith is coming to grips with learning why Jesus makes these big promises in an encouragement to get us to pray more. So God wants you to pray big, hairy, audacious prayers. 
So even when I'm talking to you about character building and, and talking to you about how there's a, a point beyond the answered prayer, uh, Jesus really does want you to pray. Big stuff. What does... I got a text. I didn't see it. What does God want you to feel? What does God want you to experience in the midst of this theme, in the midst of this story? I think we can look to Mary as our example. We can always rest assured Jesus is worth trusting. Jesus replies, woman, what does that have to do with me? My time hasn't come. And his mother says, do whatever he tells you. That's the kind of trust that I want. And I think that's what we saw with Hannah as well. Hannah last week, her sadness didn't leave because her prayer was answered. Her sadness left because she was sure that God heard her. And I think something similar is happening with Mary. It, she has no idea. Mary doesn't know what Jesus is going to do, but she knows that Jesus is worth trusting. And I think that is an encouragement to us. What do we do after amen? I think there's a, a, we can rest assured. We can be confident that God is good and God knows what's best for us. And even when we pray, we can rest assured that God is trustworthy enough to hold that prayer and bring about what is best in our life. Jesus even has parables about this. He says, if you humans, which are totally broken and evil half the time, if your child comes to you and asks for something to eat, are you going to give them a snake? Right? You're gonna, are you not going to give them what they need? Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the things that you need when you ask? We can trust that God is good and that God knows what's good for us. And there's a, there's a rest that comes from being able to trust Jesus like that. Modern military salutes, they think, came from French knights. French knights would put down their weapons and lift their visor to show the person they were you know, waving to their face, which was an act of vulnerability, but also putting down their weapons. And so putting down the weapon with their weapon hand and lifting their visor, they think this is where saluting came from. You're showing everyone you don't have a weapon in your hand. And so this is what happens. This morphs into handshaking, right? You're using your right hand to, well, your weapon hand, the one that you would kill somebody with, to shake hands, to bring in close. I mean, the, those shady left-handers might get you. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. But that's the meaning of it. You're coming in close. There's physical contact. There's vulnerability. You're communicating that you trust the person. I learned this week, uh, this is Lord Baden-Powell. He starts the scouts. He started the Boy Scouts. And in the Boy Scouts, they shake with their left hand. Is this true, Ryan? Ryan's my scout. So everywhere else in the world except America, he's from England, they shake with their left hand. I was really hoping Ryan would back me up on that, but it's cool. I get it. Look here. He's shaking with his left hand. This is a scout thing. And the reason they decided to shake with their left hand is because when Lord Baden-Powell was fighting in some wars in Africa, he went to a village to talk to the chief, and he saluted, and then he went to shake with his right hand, and the chief, who had his shield in his left hand and his weapon in his right hand, took the shield and put it on the other side and said, we shake with our lefts because it is more brave and it communicates more trust. You just put down your weapon. You still got a shield. 
You're still in a defensive posture. We lower our shields with our, and shake with our left. They do keep their weapon in there, though, too. It's... Lord Baden-Powell was so taken by this. This was standard for scouts everywhere except America for some reason because we like to be different and unique. And so they shake with their left hand uh, to communicate that in that family of scouting, we are the type of people we can trust. We can be ultra vulnerable. We can let down our shields with one another. And we can be people who, who shake uh, with our shield hand instead of our weapon hand. And that's the goal of scouting is to create these types of communities of trustworthy individuals. And I think that's what we can learn from Mary here. That we can, that Jesus is creating us the, the type of people, creating in us the type of people that can be trustworthy, but also wants us to be people who trust God in such a way that we can let down our guard, let down our vulnerabilities, and learn to trust Jesus in a way unlike ever, ever, ever before. Yeah? Amen? We might not know what Jesus is going to do, but we can rest assured that he's trustworthy enough to hold our hearts and our prayers. What does God want us to do with this theme and this story? I think it's this. We most often encounter the miraculous while walking in obedience. We most often encounter the miraculous things of God when we're walking the road of obedience. In this story, see what happens. There were six stone jars. No one knows what Jesus is going to do. He just said, I don't really want to do this. And again, this story is to communicate something really theologically powerful. That if Jesus is willing to be obedient even to his mother at this wedding, then we know that by the time the cross comes, he's willing to be obedient to his father. There's an obedience here, doing things that Jesus doesn't want to do, but still going through them because it's helpful. But there's six stone jars here. No one knows what Jesus is going to do. And so he says, hey, go fill up those jars. And they filled them to the brim. The question for me in the story is, when did the miracle happen? It does not happen when Mary asks it. It does not happen when the attendants take the jars to the river. It does not happen when they bring them back filled to the brim. Again, very hard work. It happens even, Jesus gives them another command in the midst of Draw some and take it to the head waiter. And they did. And it's only then do we hear in the story that the water had become wine and it was the, it was the best wine anyone has ever had in the history of wine. I don't know if that's true, but it's very good, right? That's what the story tells us. Again, these weren't easy tasks, but I think something in the story that we could take away for our prayer after amen, what do we do after we pray, is that the miracle doesn't happen immediately. It happens in the middle of their obedience. It happens in the middle of them doing the thing that Jesus asked them already to do. And I think that's an encouragement to us to say our amen, to know that Jesus is worthy of our hearts and our trust, and that Jesus will give us what is good, and to continue doing the things that Jesus has already asked us to do. Can I get even nerdier with you for a second? Pastor James, this is a total nerd. 
Theologians love to talk about this thing called ex nihilo. It's a Latin phrase. It means out of nothing. And they talk about it all the time, that, that God created and does things out of nothing. And I get why they do it. They want to elevate what God does and who God is. And I totally believe that God 100% can do anything out of nothing, create the whole cosmos out of nothing. And I'm a type of guy who... who who trusts the scholars. I always do, and if you ever ask me, I'm going to tell you about anything, trust the scholars. But this time I think they're wrong. And if my professors are listening, don't get mad. But I think they're wrong. Everything I see in Scripture, God isn't doing things out of nothing. God is using the seeds of what is already there to create God's will and way in the world. This is the thing that I always want to talk about. It's the beginning of the Bible. It's the creation. It's Genesis. You thought we were done. We're going back. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God, or the Spirit of God, same word, swept over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. It doesn't say that there was nothing. It says there was something. It was formless and void. There were waters, there were wind, the Holy Spirit hovers above it. God didn't create it out of nothing, even though the scripture doesn't tell us. So many times when Jesus does a healing, he tells them, your faith has made you well. Jesus didn't perform that miracle out of nothing. He used the seeds of what we already have. Two more stories. Jesus heals a blind man, and what he does is uh, he, he spits in the dirt, and he creates mud, and he cakes it on the dude's eyes, and you're like, this is very gross. And then he says, go and wash the mud out of your eyes, and you're like, uh, you didn't need to tell me that. I was 100% already going to do that. <laughs> he says, go to the, the pool of Siloam, and if you want to get deep, it means the sent one. And in John, Jesus is the sent one, and it's, it's very telling of who Jesus is. It says, so the man went away and washed, and when he returned, he could see. It was on the road of obedience that the miracle happens. It wasn't out of nothing. The man needed to go to the pool to have the miracle realized. Last one, Luke 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers. And they, doing what was culturally appropriate, they, they kept their distance. And they raised their voices. And they said, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. And when Jesus saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. As they left, they were cleansed. Jesus uses the seeds of our faith and the seeds of our obedience to answer our prayers. I believe 100% God doesn't need that, but it seems this is the way that God works in the world. God, God's way and will are going to be done whether or not you're obedient. You, so it's not dependent on you, but I think God encourages us after amen to walk the road of obedience and it is then when we will see the miraculous right we so often encounter the miraculous on the road of obedience amen you feel me i might be wrong take that with a grain of salt but because the theologians would be mad i promise you but i think they're wrong i think they're wrong this time you have any questions, feel free to send them. We'll do our best to answer them, and then I'll wrap this up for us. <laughs> now you got some questions? You can start. I'll give you some phone numbers. You can text the theologians if you want.
Any theories on why Jesus got sassy about it not being his time yet before doing the miracle? Um, my best theory is that it's a literary device. John is using a phrase to point us to the cross. So constantly in, in the story, Jesus is saying, it's, it's not my time. In the beginning, he's saying, it's not my time. But then later, like, people will try to kill him, and, and the author will say, the narrator will say, and they weren't able to kill him because it wasn't his time. But then when Jesus gets to the cross, he says, the time has come for my glory to be revealed, that I will be lifted up and exalted. But he's talking about the cross, this beautiful. And so I think it's just a way for him a way for the narrator to keep pointing us towards the cross, that Jesus' time, the thing that he came to do, the mission for him was to die. Great question. Where did the formless and void waters come from in the darkness? Great. I, I think God made them. I think, but the story doesn't begin there, right? It doesn't begin with nothing. It begins with something. I really think it's to get us to ask the question, why is there something rather than nothing? And, and our answer, as cheesy as it always sounds, I think is love. I, I'll stake my whole life on that. Uh, God doesn't need anything, wants for nothing, but decided to create something anyways. Could Jesus have rolled his eyes at his mom or would that be a sin? Great question. I have no idea. <laughs> in this culture, maybe eye-rolling is respectful. No, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, there definitely is uh, something going on where he's, he's telling her that our relationship isn't going to be the same anymore. By the way, Joseph isn't mentioned here, too. A lot of scholars think that he's already passed. By the time Jesus is on the cross, he's telling the disciple John that you, need to, you are now my mother's son, and you are now my son's mother what uh my disciples mother and they lived together is the theory there's a way in which uh jesus had taken as the oldest male in the household had taken care of things and i think there's a way in which his public ministry is causing him to uh what's the psychologically healthy term differentiate he's differentiating from his mother he's separating he's letting her know that things are going to be different once he's uh, becomes this traveling rabbi and then when he dies, he needs to make sure she's looked after. One of the reasons why she is not, this will be my last answer to the question, why her name isn't mentioned is because there was a lot of, there were some cults coming up that were worshiping her. And so there's this belief that John is trying to make sure we keep her in the proper place, that she is not more important than her son, it really was about Jesus, even though she was the one that the church says she's the Theotoko. She's the God-bearer. She's the one who had God uh, in her womb. Uh, it's really pointing to Jesus. Thank you for the questions. Let's wrap this up. We so often encounter God on uh, the miraculous on the road of obedience, but sometimes we miss it. And I think it's because when things are good, it's hard to recognize the blessing. And when things are hard, it's hard to remember the blessing, right? When they're good, we don't recognize it. And when it's hard, we forget. In one of our youth 
posted this on our Instagram story, and I thought it was very um, appropriate for what we're talking about. She said, some of you don't even realize you're standing in your answered prayer that you forgot about from months or even years ago because you haven't stopped for just a moment to simply thank God for where you're at now because you keep asking for what's next. And I'm not trying to emphasize, emphasize the bottom part, but I think because we get impatient, we forget to see that the prayers we asked are being answered. On that road to obedience, we are experiencing the miraculous, but sometimes we forget, we're unable to see, because when things are good, it's hard to recognize, and when things are hard, it's hard to remember. Our patience causes us to miss out on so much. But this story is trying to teach us that our answers to prayer are almost always meant to point beyond our present problems, that in our heart, God wants us to experience that we can rest assured that Jesus is worthy of trust, worthy to hold the prayers or requests that we bring before him. And with our hands, he wants us to continue in obedience, to continue working, to continue doing the things that he asked us to do even before our prayer, because it's there that we most often encounter the miraculous. And here is your homework before we pray. I'd love for you to fill this in this week, some point. God, I'd like you to. And you know what your prayer is. Maybe you know what you've been praying about. And then, but until then, I will. Take a moment that's on the bottom and the back of your bulletin. Uh, I think this would be a helpful exercise to encourage us to keep walking the road of obedience even as we wait for our prayers to be answered. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's like, God, I want you to help my marriage get healthier. But until then, I'm going to continue to be the type of person, the type of partner that is worthy of trust and communicates well. God, I'd like you to make things a little more comfortable as far as finances go. Things don't have to be so hard. Would you help us? But until then, I will continue whatever it is for you. If it's a uh, updating your resume or developing the skills you need for a new position or continuing your plans of financial stewardship, right? You know what it is. I think you know. I don't need to come up with more examples. Would you help me wrap this up by praying with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for this story. Thank you for this miracle in some tiny village called Cana in Galilee. Would you help us to remember the lessons here? that you are able to do far more than we can ever ask or imagine, that you could take the water and give us the abundance, the good things that you want for us. Would you develop in us a trust, a recognition that you are worthy of trust? And would you help us to stay focused and obedient, but keeping our eyes open so that we could see how you're working? And Lord, as we come to the table, as an act of obedience, because you've commanded us. Would you meet us here? Would you reveal your glory even more? And would you deepen our faith? Because these are the things that we need to walk into the mystery, to walk into the hard stuff, just to keep walking. May this be spiritual nourishment for our journeys. 
and the Table Church, would you help me finish this prayer by praying the Lord's Prayer with me, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.